Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Adidas, Elf Cosmetics, and Lego. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. You can save on everything you need for summer like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Hello, my name is uh, my name is Robert Milkman. I'm 91 years old. Uh-huh. I have had I've had seven lobotomies. Oh my! <laughs> and I'll tell you, I ain't afraid of lamps anymore. <laughs> but my main question is, you two fine, beautiful young women. Uh huh. What is a lamp? <laughs> well, indeed, it's something that provides light, sir. Ah! <laughs> welcome to the take. last welcome to the last podcast on the left everyone i am ben take. staring at marcus and of course we have recently lobotomized henry zabrowski someone get the doctor in here with his brain broom <laughs> i need to get all these ghosts up out of the holes of the folds of my brain <laughs> so some of you might be wondering why is he lobotomized well that's a probably a good indicator on what we're going to talk about today the next sentence i have been thinking about for about 23 hours now and i'm really excited to say it this episode really took it out of me we're talking lobotomies <laughs> all right that's the only thing i've ever wanted to say in my life it's the, it's just lobotomies. It, lobotomies this episode really took it out of me we're talking lobotomies the alliteration is really making me hard well it's not really as much alliteration as it is a sideways rhyme can i call it alliteration can i get one can i get one thing please i thought a sideways rhyme is when you have sex with the best man at your wedding what marcus had sex with his own brother oh my god oh my goodness i'm not a real sideways best man yes of course so in continuance of our Summer of Strange series, we're going to cover one of the strangest medical procedures of the 20th century. Ooh. On this series, we're going in-depth on the history of the lobotomy. Hell yeah. I tell you what, I don't want a lobotomy, but you could definitely bring me a lobotomy. Absolutely. This is a fun thing about brats. It's a sausage. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, Henry only eats brats by shoving them up his nose until mm-hmm. they hit his brain. <laughs> I fold up my eyelid. I just get I get the brat like right in the meat between yeah. my eyeball and the bridge of my nose, and I get a little hammer. Ding 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 ding. And I just force it in between the lobes. Yeah. Henry, what's your new diet? I've been snorting food. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the lobotomy was a highly discredited medical procedure that was practiced mostly in the United States from the nineteen thirties until the early sixties. To the tune of forty thousand lobotomies performed in this country alone hold on a second we had the capability to go to the moon and yet we were still performing lobotomies which is just shoving a pole up a dude's nose there are people to this day that sing the praises of the lobotomy there is still it's still technically kind of around 
You can get one if you want one, Kissel. I don't. The best part is that what you do with the, what's so nice about lobotomy is that it's not like you get rid of all your problems. It's like your your problems are on a parade in front of you, and you're behind a glass wall, and you watch all of your problems interact on the inside of your brain, but you yourself feel nothing. Now, I do like the idea of a free puppet show, but I think I would rather get, I would rather have a sounding rod shoved up my dick hole than have a, a rod shoved up and poking my brain. There's a lot of people that say that. I know. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. As far as what a lobotomy did, the procedure involved removing cores from the frontal lobe of the patient's brain with a surgical instrument in an attempt to cure mental disorders after all other treatments had failed. Or at least, that's how it started. In the words of the man who became the face of the lobotomy, lobotomies were a form of human salvage, not salvation. But of course, as more lobotomies were performed, the idea of who was salvage and who wasn't expanded so literally they were like aunt nancy is going a little nuts have we tried wiggling her brain <laughs> like what i don't understand like i'm sure we'll get into the because there must be some logic behind this there is absolutely logic behind it and i would assume now defunct logic yes there was a startling amount of logic it's like the amount of logic became uh part of the problem <laughs> because what they viewed it because in the beginning this was supposed to be for extreme cases right this was supposed to be people with the terms like catatonic schizophrenia uh people they said they were locked in their own bodies people with uh highly evolved neuroses all of the stuff people with ptsd especially mm. after world war ii there's a bunch of people talk about the 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 people that suffered from what was called shell shock in various time periods. Right. But then I guess called like bullet fever uh, at this time period, <laughs> just soften it or something, where they took all these w WW2 vets that were supposed to be heroes, right? We right. were supposed to believe commonly that they, you know, they fought the biggest villains of all time. They did. And then they came back as heroes. But the ones that didn't come back like great in great shape, especially right. from all the shit that they saw, especially the people that liberated the, the concentration camps, oh. all the people who saw the real stuff, a lot of them, and getting a little bit of that ding, 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 in order to not feel those feelings, and we ended up lo losing a whole generation of soldiers to this to this disease. It's it, to this procedure. It is. It's wild. Could have yeah. done without that, sir. <laughs> I mean, eventually lobotomies came to be for people that were a bit much. Okay. Like mm -hmm. if, if they're inconvenient, uh, if their anxieties and their depression was just too much to deal with, okay. then lobotomy came into the scene. Now, the procedure evolved over the years, starting as an actual surgery that required the presence of a neurosurgeon. It was treated very seriously, yeah. but- as lobotomies gained popularity, any old Joe psychiatrist with an ice pick and a hammer was able to use a specialized instrument called a leukotome to cut away the offending brain matter after taking what amounted to a weekend seminar. Jeez. We could all thank the technically the funniest, most charming scientist since the man who invented the my pillow, uh -huh. Walter Freeman. <laughs> For this reason. And I actually, I'm going to go out and say, they actually had to stop using the Leucotone, Marcus, because they kept breaking, which is why they had to make, the, they literally had to use an ice pick 
for a long period of time because oh. it was sturdy enough to take the mallet that it would take to pop the bone right behind the, your eyeball in order to get into <laughs> your fucking brain meat. And this was oh. before they used to just drill into the sides of your fucking head like it had chocolate in it. <laughs> I always I always love when my podiatrist is jamming an ice pick up my nose right after he shows me his pussy like Sharon Stone did. Like this is Yeah, but the best part about this pussy is so that I can make it a cock. <laughs> <laughs> now, while lobotomies did usually eliminate some or all of the symptoms of extreme anxiety and depression, the side effects were wildly unpredictable, usually leaving patients infantilized, unmotivated messes with a penchant for bizarre, repetitive motions and absent-minded masturbation. <sighs> but according to Walter Freeman, literally it's him just like, don't worry, that is just them expressing their innermost natural selves. And do not worry, they often stop masturbating two to five years after the treatment. <laughs> okay, well, honestly, now that I think about it, yes, I did sigh in disgust because it is traumatic. But how fun is that? You have a free I mean, you pass. Have you can be like, a, you can be a baby. You can just jerk off wherever. You're like, I've been lobotomized, which is really freedom. Is before the lobotomy, you were like an adult. Right. But that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, everyone loved the movie Benjamin Button. <laughs> Aging. And that was because of the romance. And no one wants to fuck a baby except for the people that run our government. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people in the government. Well, some called lobotomy the amputation of the soul. But even so, the procedure was so respected in its time that the creator was actually awarded the Nobel Prize in 1949, although the Nobel Committee has since admitted that this was indeed a bit of a goof-em-up. Oh, that was an oopsie? <laughs> yeah, it's an oopsie-doopsie. But speaking of the people who made the lobotomy what it was... Our source today is The Lobotomist by Jack L. High, which is the fascinating story of not the man who created the lobotomy, but the man who brought the procedure to the mainstream. Also, YouTube's got a great length of videos of lobotomy procedures that I ended up watching. This shit's fucking, it's, it is rough. A lot of people that had received lobotomies, you could see them attempt to be people. Mm. And then you can also see the documentary, The Lobotomist, which was done by PBS. That it's also very, very interesting to just see just how fun Walter Freeman made this. Like, yeah. he made it fun. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Porky Pig, he's the lobotomless all right, I'm going to go commit suicide, guys. So it's been a nice run. I've you loved are. you guys. Hashtag canceled. That is how, that's why I will cancel you. Well, yes. The man who made the lobotomy popular was named Walter Freeman. And although he was not a surgeon. Come on. How, not like, a this is like a big surgery. He was a medical doctor, this, yes. This man can't even fix your, your hangnail. And he's jamming <laughs> shit up to your brain. Well, his manic, mad scientist energy and showmanship gave him everything he needed to make the act of cutting pieces out of a patient's brain sound reasonable to the medical community. Hell of a salesman. And I'm going to go out and say, it's not just reasonable. It's, it's just a good time. And it's a thing that you can have your, your kids do. You can teach your children how to do it. It's oh. absolutely easy. You hold your hands. You put them on a stool. Ding, ding, ding. Next thing you know. Grandma's not hitting everybody anymore. This is just, it's a fun afternoon. Well, it could save lives. Grandma was very abusive. 
Well, if I were to describe Walter Freeman as a person, I'd say that he was psychotically strange to the point of being cartoonish. This man needs a lobotomy. <laughs> that is, that's all I thought about this entire time as I was reading. This man needs a lobotomy. <laughs> but he wasn't necessarily evil in the way that other mad scientists like Josef Mengele were evil. <sighs> In other words, nobody would say that Walter Freeman would have been a serial killer in another life, like we said with Mangala. Mangala! Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but what Walter Freeman shares with Mangala is a sociopathic ambition for recognition and innovation. Okay, so question, was this man's intention, was he well-intentioned? Yes. He was. Well, at the, uh, in, uh, hmm. it's, in it's, it's very... Very beginning. Yeah. He saw a, he, he saw a gape in the medical. It's gap. Don't say gape. I know. I know. No, I, I like gape. gape. I like gape. <laughs> yeah. But he wanted to fill up that gape with an Ooh. invention that would be able to cure all mental illness. Right. right. So the problem is, is that once you go from, like, I see all of these people that are uh, essentially abandoned by the system, like left in mental asylums right. to rot to die in beds alone, and he was like, there's got to be a way to fix it, but once he's like, and we've got to franchise it. Once he got into <laughs> that level, then you're like, oh, this has gone past helping people. Yeah. We're not in the burger business. We're in the real estate business. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy, I mean, Freeman, he saw lobotomy as a way to help mental patients, yes. Okay. But his main motivation for bringing the procedure to the mainstream was more about making a name for himself in the medical community. He was like, what's my thing going to be? That's what Walter Freeman was always about, because this is a time when medical science when, or when mental health science was gaining traction. He's like, I want to put my stamp on this. What's my stamp going to be? But there were so many things that we haven't knocked out yet. Cancer. I can think of that. Like, there's so many other things he could have put his stamp on. pretty important. To it is vitally important, Marcus. We all three agree with that. Yes. However, no respected medical professional outside of Nazi Germany looked at Mengele's work with anything other than revulsion. Lobotomies, however, were performed at the most prestigious hospitals in America, from Johns Hopkins to the Mayo Clinic. They bought it. Jesus. And of course, yeah, the Mayo Clinic, you got to be white to go there because you know how much white people I mean, love Mayo. I am sorry. Can I take your line? I apologize for everything. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. Dr. Hellman really helped me with a lot of a lot of my feet problems. See, the study and treatment of mental health has always been years behind the study and treatment of physical health. And all you need to do is look at how our country approaches mental health treatment today to see that the lag still exists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, while the heyday of physical experimentation when it came to the human body was the 19th century, experiments on the human brain lasted well into the 20th, in our parents' lifetime. Damn. In, yep. fa in fact, we still don't really understand the human brain as much as we pretend to. For example, my psychiatrist can't tell you exactly why the medication I've taken for bipolar disorder for the last 15 years also works for seizure patients. All he can do is tell me that it works. And if it suddenly stops working, which it might at any time. Don't even scare us, Marcus. <laughs> we'll just, it's never going to stop working. But that's why we have the emergency net in the studio. <laughs> 
<laughs> if it's we not- know what to do. We know what to do for Mark. Yeah, yeah, it might stop working tomorrow. It might stop working when I'm 65. It might never stop working. But God. if it does stop working, all my psychiatrist can do is just kind of shrug and prescribe me something else. Honestly, Mark, have you tried to use a masturbation machine, Mister Parks? <laughs> I will say, Marcus, when it does stop working, we're going to have a great three days <laughs> yeah. before you totally It's going to be fun to watch fucking dog meat, full fucking bipolar freak out. That, that first night is going to be so much fun. We're going to be coyote ugly. We're going to fucking steal a car and drive to fucking Atlantic City. I'm really excited for that period of time. But then once it hits like 9 a.m. the next morning and things are getting scary and Marcus saying, he's like, I know the truth. There's wires in the ceiling that are like explaining to me about how shadows are real. Then we're gonna be like, ah, oh, well. Get the net. (laughs) (laughs) So to understand how we got to the lobotomy, we've got to understand the history of medical science when it comes to mental health in America. Oh, so we're just going to cover that? Well, yep. we're, do we ha- we're, we're just going to cover the history of mental health in America. No, not not completely. Okay. We're going to focus specifically on one small part of that. Okay. We're going to focus on psychosurgery, Ooh. which is a super cool name yeah. for physical surgery used to treat mental illness. It's also with the, if you the only way you can get a member of ICP into a hospital is to tell them, "No, dude, we're going to remove cancer with this psycho surgery." <laughs> Great Malenko, <laughs> and then they'll then they'll go. Uh, otherwise, they're very scared of the doctor. Now I'm thinking of Kiss's album Psycho Circus that everyone Ugh, yes, was so excited about, Cir- which is yeah. just simply horrible. Oh God, it was the fucking worst. Oh, we waited a year for. I remember everyone was so excited. Oh. We BCD yep. sold out immediately. Every I fucking remember. comic book had six psycho circus ads in it god that i remember it but it was two discs of shit (laughs) they did give you more shit i do remember that i was like two discs it's all garbage but cool now the seeds for psychosurgery lied with benjamin rush who opened the first psychiatric ward in the united states in 1752 Rush believed that mental disorders were caused by overactive circulation in the brain, so he invented devices to treat that diagnosis. It seems to me that the problem is the blood, so that's why we remove the blood (laughs) as much as humanly possible. You take all the blood out of my brain? Absolutely. As you can see, you're already irrational, you huge goon. So I will have to apply the sucking tubes to the to these cuts I will make to your fucking eyeballs. That's what you deserve. Oh, man, I think that surgery really works. I feel, I feel great. One device that Benjamin Rush used was called the tranquilizer. With that one, lunatics, as Rush called them, were mm-hmm. strapped to a chair and a box was put over the head to dull the senses. Was everyone just a fucking comic book character back then? <laughs> what are these terms? I, to be honest, I really could use this. Yeah. There's like a part of me just to keep me off the phone. <laughs> the idea of just being stretched with strep with you. I mean, like, yeah, a couple hours with a box in your head is going to feel like kind of, you know, like it's going to be panic inducing. But if I've paid for it. I like it. You have to. Actually, that was a whole South Park episode where they just put boxes on everyone's heads to keep them from looking at phones. I remember that one. I just saw that recently. (laughs) Well, Rush believed that putting boxes on everyone's heads and strapping them with leather straps to a fucking chair would slow blood circulation to the brain (laughs) and treat the underlying mental illness. And notice I can make it smile with this little Sharpie here. (laughs) Uh, Notice the two eyes, the nose, and here comes the smiley face. (laughs) Ah, I can see it's working. (laughs) 
Another device, the gyrator. <laughs> okay, how come these are all pornographic? I, everything sounds like it's going to make a girl squirt. <laughs> Man, they had machines that made girls squirt Aww. to keep them from fucking, to keep them from complaining about the fact that they're getting hit all the time. Yeah, no, literally when women started, when women are like, I want to go to work, they're like, what if we make you come? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll come once, and then I'll go to work. <laughs> well, the gyrator involved nothing more than strapping a patient to a horizontal board and just spinning them around in circles over and over and over again just to improve circulation. Because if you spin them around in circles, all the blood goes to the head, and that improves the circulation, and that helps the mental illness. It's fun if you're at a rodeo bar riding, <laughs> riding the bull so you can get a free beer if you hold on for eight seconds. Marcus, do you think at a, at a height of your freakout, like of a bunch of people, like at a height of a freakout, if a bunch of big guys in white coats grabbed you and strapped you to a board and fucking spun you in a circle for <laughs> right. like 15, 20 minutes, right. do, like, do you think that you might actually be kind of chilled out? Could not think of anything that would make me more agitated. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah. I crowdsource that. Well, <laughs> then I guess we're still onto the net because that's the only treatment that seems to be working. At this I point. like the net. Well, I'm, the net's I'm, what I'm, you get. So yeah, he likes it. I look forward to the net. <laughs> well, Rush, he was also one of the very few people in the world at the time who actually believed that mental illness could be treated. This was actually a step forward. Okay. It was just definitely a step up from just putting them in shackles and locking them in a fucking room until they died, which mm -hmm. was what they were doing to mentally ill people before this. It's a low bar. Very low bar, but yeah. it's still above that. Yeah. Now, psychosurgery itself began in earnest in the late 19th century with doctors such as William Williams Keene, who began performing experimental surgery on the brains of mental patients in an attempt to cure hallucinations, dementia, and quote-unquote emotional excitability. What I loved about William Williams Keene was that he was five foot two. And he had to do all of the surgery on a ladder. Like, he would do it all on a ladder and do it. They gave him a little said, box to stand on. Like, he stood on, like, a fucking, like, apple cart. Oh, he's like Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> yeah. They literally, and his, the thing, they always say, be like, yes, he is short of stature. But if you could see by his stout hands and his thick torso, he definitely has the strength to be a man of learning. You're like, you just said he's fat. You just said he's short and fat, and that's what makes him a genius. And I'm with it. No, William Williams Keene was no quack or at least he wasn't considered so at the time. He removed a tumor from President Grover Cleveland's jaw using a century-old mouth retractor. This shit, this is fucking... They cut they cut the whole chunk of his jaw out, right? This is back, and this is not... Nothing's fun about this. Right. They cut the whole fucking chunk of jaw out, and then put a piece of hard rubber in his face to keep the structure of it. Can you imagine what kind of pain... That creates for the rest of your life. Damn. And he was the president. Wow. They did I mean, this the to the president. I do like the idea of a president not being able to talk. That is, <laughs> that is very fun. And this guy was also on the team that diagnosed Franklin Roosevelt's polio. He was like a presidential doctor. Maybe here, let me take a look at it. Say, Mr. President, unfortunate to say, me on the board here have all decided. We've looked at the data here and we have we figured out you suffer from spaghetti legs. Ah, that explains it. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. 
I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. But with regular folk, Keen got a little more experimental. In 1887, he bored a hole into the skull of a man named Theodore Daviler. And then he probed into the skull with an ungloved finger. Probably didn't even fucking wash his hands beforehand. Wait, are we talking about <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer? <laughs> and then Keen fucking manually pulled out a tumor from the guy's brain before stitching the whole thing up with cat gut. Oh, God. With what? Cat gut. Cat, cat gut. gut? Cat it's gut. The guts of a cat? Well, it's cat. It's, uh, they used it's like to a use, wire. Yeah, it's like a wire. Cat oh. gut. This was actually the first successful removal of a brain tumor in American history. It worked. Okay. The patient lived for another 30 years after that with no major side effects. Good. This, that is just one of those things that's amazing about the human body where you can do this. Stuff. Like, it does take quite a bit to kill the human body. Mm -hmm. And the idea of just riffling around in a guy's brain and just pulling out a lump and being like, we got one. <laughs> and then he gets to just fucking, he just lives his life. I don't think he was like an engineer. You know what I mean? Right. I don't think that he was building bridges and shit. He built but, horse carts. Oh, I mean, he was kind nice. of an engineer. <laughs> Uh, but, in other words, you know, Keen was a legitimate surgeon in many ways. But Keen's grandson, Walter Freeman, the man who would popularize the lobotomy, he was not a legitimate surgeon. Mm. 
Besides being the grandson of a surgeon, Walter Freeman was also the son of a surgeon, yet Freeman was cursed to be a sickly child. When Freeman was a baby, his grandfather removed 30 enlarged lymph nodes from his neck, which caused paralysis in certain muscles in his body, which gave him a droop on one shoulder, causing one side of his head to permanently be cocked to the side. He kind of made him look like he was flirting with you all the time. <laughs> so you're telling me the guy who invented the lobotomy, the, the lobotomy is Holden McNeely? <laughs> what in the world? From Wizard and the, and the Bruiser? How big was his neck to have 30... <laughs> 30 lymph noids in there. Lymph noids? What is this, a Domino's commercial? I have no clue. I don't know how you could keep taking all these chunks out. Yeah. But it feels oh. like, you know, if they keep coming, at some point, I, if I had that many chunks, like, kind of I would just kind of work them into my outfits. And yeah. little faces on them. You have to. Freeman also had a tonsillectomy, diphtheria, measles, scarlet fever, typhoid fever, whooping cough, mumps, and pink eye. Damn. All before he reached adolescence. And in addition to all this, he was also, for reasons known only to him, terrified of horses his entire life. They're like bigger, stronger, meaner cats. <laughs> I can't, I can't, absolutely, I cannot stand them. You know, I actually, I can understand the, the fear of horses. They're very scary. You ride on them, they're huge. I'm very scared of horses. Yeah, but I get it. I'll go up on a horse to make sure Natalie stays sexually attracted to me. Yeah. You, you really think, you think that you, on a horse, scared shitless, crying openly, is going to make Natalie attracted to you more? Natalie's a stunt woman, all right? Anything besides, like, because she wants me to, like, climb up to big ropes. She, she wants did that one time. She did that one time, and then you just dangled your feet four inches above the ground and went back down. Yep. I But I went up with the horse because every single time you say no to a challenge, you make one droplet of moisture leave a woman's vagina. Every single time you show how weak you are, I have to keep pretending, and technically I'm getting stronger because of it. Okay, it must be working. Well, like many sickly children, though, Freeman channeled his bedridden boredom into creative pursuits. As a child, he wrote a story about two steamships named the Cathartic and the Emetic, having found both terms in his father's medical library. What Freeman didn't know, though, was that back then, the or origin of the word cathartic... Cathartic means to evacuate one's bowels. Which, oh. as we all know, can be highly cathartic. Love I, it. I did not know that. Yeah. And as far as emetic went, that was a term for a compound used to induce vomiting, which meant that the young Freeman had written a story featuring two <laughs> ships named, respectively, the Diarrhea and the Puke. <laughs> I had so much and fun. The and he had no idea, and he got, he got so upset when he found out. He didn't know. He was highly, highly embarrassed. But now they went ahead and named two lines on the Royal Caribbean cruise line, the Diarrhea and the Puke. Oh, I love that. Can't wait to go back on a cruise. Yeah, nothing sounds more fucking... Oh, Wow, I can't wait to be trapped on a boat with everybody fucking shitting and puking and coughing. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so relaxing. I don't think I can fit on a cruise, so it's out, it's out of the cards for me. But even so, Walter Freeman never lost his way with words. What follows now is a brief excerpt of a description of his father's home doctor's office in a paper Freeman wrote in college. A hydraulic fan made gurgling noises, not unlike strangulation. And half a dozen sprays pointed their nozzles at my father like a firing squad. Nearby was an oven, just large enough to bake a baby. What? What? Uh, sorry, was, what was that last line? It was measured on me, and it was a constant threat 
to me and my brothers and sisters that we would become casseroles. But I tell you what, that made my dad a real asserole. <laughs> so there was like an easy baby bake oven? What is going on? He just said it was big enough to put a baby in yeah, there. Yeah, but why would you I always okay, think about but, that. But, but doctor, why are you using baby as a measurement when it comes to ovens? How else would I get rid of all of these children? <laughs> but speaking of that father... Walter Freeman Sr. was a picture of the detached patriarch. Even though he had seven children, the elder Freeman was always terribly formal with all of his kids, described as shy, awkward, and humorless. See, that is where you have to find the middle ground. On one side, you got the always nude dad. Like my friend's dad who would just walk out with his tidy whities go take a shit with the door open. Yeah, I had a new dad friend. We all know, we all know, and it's, you know, it's their house, they can do what they want. My fa- and my and father used to dad. sit in the bikini briefs, but at least he covered his dick and balls. Yeah. With, the, with his gut! <laughs> but he would, yes, he would cover his, the gut would cover his dick and balls, and he sat out there, and he was allowed in our home, he was allowed to be dressed like that in front of my friends. It was just when Jackie's friends came that he had to put clothes on, and he was always very deeply resentful of it. Well, that makes sense. This this man, uh, he's now passed away, but he also used to identify his clothes by what animal shirt he was going to wear. <laughs> so it was like a deer, deer Monday. Moose. Oh, it must be Thursday. <laughs> well, this guy, Freeman Sr., he was so fucking strange that he never quite knew how to handle his emotions. When Walter Jr. was caught skipping school, the elder Walter turned his anger inward produced a whip in front of his son and started flagellating himself instead of his son. It's like a fucking camera inside the Mike Pence office right now when the polling numbers come in. And he's just like, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. That's got to be so scary when dad starts fucking beating his own ass. Actually, hey, man, being on the other side of that, I like the idea. I wish my dad would have beat the fuck out of himself every day. Not that my father was a bad guy. But But what if he just sat there and stared at you the entire time? uh, No emotion, no reaction. Uh, my Pornhub uh, searches would be different. <laughs> well, Freeman Jr. also said that when it came time for the sex talk, the elder Freeman taught him the facts of life using an ancient gynecology textbook, complete with horrific yet admittedly beautiful 19th century illustrations of venereal disease. This is, it's like the idea of Dr. Frankenstein. I love the idea of, because you know what this also does sort of sound like the fake growing up life of Dr. Evil, the way he talked about his father in the fucking <laughs> awesome power yeah. movies. But the the idea of uh, this kind of like clinical, clinical aloof man with an ancient tome, like explaining like 18th century versions of like the humors and the valves inside of a woman's pussy as he's like with a stick and also at the same time kind of fucking with your sexuality by being like, but if you do this, you also get like cauliflower dick. You could get <laughs> sad balls. Because if you get sad balls, you know, it's very difficult to turn that around. It really is. Um, but this is the 19th 30s, 40s? No, this is like late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So maybe like, ni- his, yeah, around early 1900s. So in his dad's defense, at least he's trying. Like he's, he's trying. trying to, like, you know how many dads were just like, you put it in when it's dry, hopefully it gets wet, otherwise you don't tell anyone. Like, you know how many dads were just like not doing anything? So, I mean, he was working at no, it. But Freeman also said he only tried it once because Freeman was the oldest boy and none of the other boys got the talk at all because that's ah. how horrible it was for the dad. I see. 
Yeah, all the old thing my father ever told me was that, hey, when it rains, make sure you wear a slicker. <laughs> Thank you for the euphemism, Dad. <laughs> now, not surprisingly, this upbringing did not prepare Walter Freeman for a life of popularity in college. He and his roommate were so socially awkward that the other kids called them, for reasons unknown, Minnie and Lizzie. Cute. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah. I mean, at least they had each other. <laughs> yeah, he did. Ha- he did have a very. Sa- he always had friends. That's the thing. He was a very strange guy, but he always had friends. He could always find someone to follow him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable the idea that strange people could find friendship. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's almost I've like never, yeah, I've never yeah, met a strange. It's man almost before. like we all bonded over a film called Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand that. Walter also wasn't the most attentive of students. While studying medicine, he almost killed himself twice in the lab on accident. Once by almost blowing himself up by mixing together the wrong chemicals, and once by absentmindedly putting a pipette covered in cyanide in his own mouth. You simply wouldn't believe it. There was a food fight at lunch today, and I just I saw the pie coming to me, but I also noticed at the same time that my shoe was untied. So when I leant down to tie my shoe, the next thing you know, that pie hit old Mrs. Werther in the face. And everyone was <laughs> laughing and laughing and laughing. So I went there and I removed one of her breasts so I could see how her breasts work afterwards. <laughs> so this dude is just one experiment away from being the nutty professor. He's close to making flubber. He is close to making flubber, but then he turned a bunch of people into flubber. Ah, you know what I mean? I see. That ain't going to help you win a basketball game. <laughs> Once World War I broke out, though, Walter Freeman joined the army as a medic, but not on the battlefield. Instead, he spent his time studying the stool samples of army cooks, checking their feces for hookworms and parasites. And for this, Freeman earned the nickname Honey Dipper. Okay. Oh my God. There was World War One was going on. Yep. World War One, and he was like, "I'll take care of your shit." Like, what is going on? Think about this, right? We got butthole doctors, all of the other worst kind of doctors in the world. Someone's got to be interested in this shit. So in some way, it is kind of helpful. He wanted to figure out how the digestive tracts of all the soldiers were working. But it's just something about what motivates a man to go once you've just done eating lunch. You yeah. ate lunch, and then you're looking at the chef, and then the fr- only thing you're thinking is like, <laughs> I wonder what a shit looks like. <laughs> like, if you... If you're like that, if you are like that, it makes you, I guess that's technically the difference between us and what makes doctors doctors. I agree, man, because you can just see him sifting through the shit, taking it out, putting some in his mouth like he's a monkey cleaning off another monkey with lice. (laughs) Oh, this is terribly bitter. (laughs) Have you ever had worms? Marcus, the answer to that is in, in... I can't even express the amount of no to that. (laughs) No, I have never had worms. Have you had worms? Yeah, I had worms all the time when I was a kid. What? Okay, okay, we're not doing this. This is the thing. He's about to snap. He needs a net. We gotta get the net. I honestly feel like maybe some of his current problems have to do with the fucking the fact that his guts were filled with worms for most of his childhood, but we'll get to that. That's a whole other episode. No, do that. If you're a dirt kid and you're digging all the time, you're gonna get worms. No, you're not gonna get worms. I got worms. I used to go outside. I mean, I wasn't like a shut-in. My mom was obsessed with worms. She always said that if I didn't wear shoes outside, I was going to get worms. But I think that was because my mom also had a thing about dirty feet. 
No. Yeah, this is all bull. Well, all right. I'm I'm happy that the worms are gone. Did you name them? Did you poop them out? No, 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 no. You, you they show up on your skin. Ringworms, hookworms. Oh, ringworm. Oh, ringworm. Okay, that's, that's different. different. Ringworm is different. Everybody who's played football had fucking ringworm. Yeah, and wrestlers had ringworm. That's why I, I never got that's it. That's why I was thinking you guys were so like, why are you guys being so fucking weird? Because I about thought your worms? guts were full of <laughs> Shit, yeah. yeah. I thought your fucking <laughs> guts were filled with living squirming worms. I could see it being. True. Well, I think it says more about how you two perceive me than it does about my own worms. You said the sentence, what, you never had worms? How am I supposed to? Yes, of course. I know ringworms. Sure. Yes, I got it. So after the war, Walter attended medical school. And after much aimless wandering through disciplines, he found what he believed to be his calling. Walter Freeman was going to be a neurologist. Ooh. Once Freeman became a doctor, though, he continued doing odd shit. For example, one of his first patients was a young man who showed up at Freeman's office with an inflamed tumescent penis, dark with blood, that had been unable to circulate back into the body. What? Oh my God. Apparently, the young man had fitted himself with a primitive cock ring. Oh, and my. And the results had been disastrous. What did yes. he use? What was it? I don't it? know. Also, what? Some kind I of in- bolt from a machine. It <laughs> must have been something like that or a giant's ring that he stole from a grave. <laughs> <laughs> so Freeman did his doctorly duties, filed the ring down, and removed the ring with forceps. But when the young man asked for the return of the embarrassing relic, Freeman said no. No, you don't get it. You don't get it back. Because you, you, yeah, you were cock. irresponsible with it. <laughs> yes. Instead, Freeman engraved his family crest on the makeshift cock ring, hung it from a gold chain necklace, and wore it for the rest of his life. You know? I would also say that's an overreaction. <laughs> it's it is uh, it's a thing. You know what I mean? It is definitely an art piece. It's a fun story to bring me like, you see this? See what this is? I cut this off a guy's penis once. Really? Yep. Hey, I noticed that you were um being pretty uh like wild before. Like you were like saying something about how you wanted to get three appetizers at lunch or something. Yeah, yeah. They have a two ninety nine special at Snapplebee's. Let me get my ice pick. What? I'm gonna teach you something. Okay, I'm gonna teach you something about overeating. I've never felt worse, but I've also never felt better. <laughs> That's the lobotomy. I know. Well, Freeman was also one of those dudes who was weirdly obsessed with his own beard at a time when beards were not fashionable amongst his peers. Freeman loved his beard so much that he would write essays about how fucking great beards were. Henry, if you may. Those who have never grown beards cannot appreciate the delicious feeling of a breeze blowing through it on a warm summer day (laughs) as the car covers the miles. There is the softest titillation like the caress of a beautiful woman. And when a beautiful woman reaches up with a little hesitation and strokes the beard, or even gives it a shy little tug, well, (laughs) it has to be felt to be appreciated. I'm still wondering why you're using baby as a measurement for an oven. (laughs) Uh, This man is, so he's very eccentric. Very eccentric. Very eccentric. I have a beard. I love beards. No problem with him. But I don't like beard culture. Uh, I watched that show Beard Wars or Mustache Wars. It just looks like a bunch of neo-Nazis trying to cover (laughs) up their hatred. It It is a hobby. But I do think we have professional beard grower listeners. And so the people that do do that, I mean- Good. Good on you. That's fine. I love it. It's fine. Now, after being a workaday doctor for a while, 
Freeman continued his education of the brain in Rome, where he worked at the clinic of Giovanni Mingazzini, the founder of pathological anatomy. Damn. Not okay. only did I learn all about the human brain, but I also, I can make a calzone that just won't fit. Just, just won't quit. Ooh, a calzone that just won't quit. Ooh, that's bringing me to Flavortown. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's out of bounds. Put that on a flip-flop. <laughs> Woo! Well, at Giovanni Mingazzini's clinic, Walter Freeman had the opportunity to study the brain of an elephant during an autopsy exercise. However, after pathologists spent four hours attacking the elephant's skull with a crowbar, a saw, and a pickaxe, the brain was a bloody mess by the time the skull was open. They destroyed it. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to go um, get some dynamite. Um, I'm going to want to see this brain really big. I mean, I'll just look at parts of it. Why did they shuck it like it was an oyster? They just, had to get through the fucking brain. The, an just, elephant skull is very thick. I know, but aren't they they're supposed to be doctors? It, every, this hey, is the beginning. Everybody's they're trying to start somewhere. Not yeah, doctors. You know, I, I don't, everyone, doctors need to start. They need to start at home base. They need to hit a home run immediately. We, this is a... Uh, yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah. Well, after Rome, Freeman moved to Washington, D.C. in 1924. There, he made friends with Alex Herdlicka, who you might remember from our Giant Humanoids episode as the man at the Smithsonian who covered up evidence of giant Native Americans in order to defend his own eugenic beliefs. Yeah, problematic. Yeah, yeah I can't believe we're having a crossover episode right now. <laughs> Every I, seriously, they've all crossed over. Like all of this since Giant Humanoids, all of these episodes have crossed over to different areas. This is so strange. Yeah, this is a what a crazy time to be alive. Damn, I, I could only imagine if someone made one of those gigantic boards of like every episode and every person that we've talked about and linked them all through like with pieces of yarn. That is a spider web right there. It all of these people are connected. So weird. Well, Freeman and Herdlicka became fast friends, and in what sounds like a childish playdate, Herdlicka showed Freeman the skull of an authentic colonial American in exchange for letting Herdlicka measure Freeman's skull. I get the friendship, honestly. <laughs> I it's... I tell you what, I don't mean to, I don't mean to skull shame here, but you could lose a couple inches on this. Just let me get my eyes. <laughs> Well, besides just friendships, Freeman also found his wife in D.C., but only after losing a different girlfriend to future CIA director Alan Dulles. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. that fucking piece of shit. Think about think about the, the oh, that woman who dated the who tr almost dated the fucking the inventor <laughs> of the lobotomy, and then dated and married the worst one of the worst people in human American history yeah Alan Dulles hey Pamela what's your type sociopath <laughs> oh as far as where Freeman began his psychiatric career it all started at St. Elizabeth's established in 1866 as America's first psychiatric hospital by the time of Walter Freeman St. Elizabeth's specialized in neurosyphilis 
See, today, syphilis isn't quite the boogeyman that it once was because Mm. it's easily treatable with nothing more than penicillin, at least until syphilis becomes resistant to penicillin in the future and makes an ugly comeback. Get the net. Marcus is losing it. (laughs) It Can't put out the fucking net. (laughs) The the science backs me up on this. I don't. I know. I I know. I'm scared now. I can't hear all of this. I can't hear weaponized syphilis, all right? All I can see is just it becoming an actual giant bug. You know what I mean? Like a physical giant thing that flies around and just attacks people on the street. The yeah. overprescription of antibiotics is a real problem in this country. Get the net! Get the, Get net. the net! Back then, syphilis led to dementia, psychosis, incontinence, spasms, horrific facial disfigurements, even worse genital disfigurements, and eventually a terrifying death at the hands of the one disease the Native Americans gave to us. That's just pure revenge. Yeah. Syphilis was unknown in Europe before it, it came from North America. It came. Really? It, it first showed up in Spain right after the uh, first Spanish explorers came back from the New World. Huh. That's very interesting. Do, mm-hmm. do you have you seen the scene in Capone? Craig Rowan has been sharing the scene, the new Tom Hardy Capone movie. No. That looks not it does not look good. But there is a scene where Tom Hardy um, as Capone shits is this a dramatic scene uh-huh he shits his pants as capone because he's dying of syphilis and holding him going just sitting in a big juicy fucking pile of his own shit and i I think they thought there was like he's gonna get an oscar for this he probably will (laughs) you know that was directed by the same guy who did the fantastic four movie really (laughs) (laughs) it makes sense though it tracks Not, not the greatest not the greatest superhero film no But in Walter's time, a full 20% of mental patients in hospitals were neurosyphilis sufferers, which meant that Walter Freeman had plenty to work with, and the stream of patients seemed endless. Between 1903 and 1933, the number of mental patients in the United States doubled, and for the most part, the hospitals where they were stashed were pretty much filthy warehouses where the mentally ill were sheltered without treatment Mm. until they died. Not necessarily what? shackling them and throwing them in holes without windows, but still just big buildings, put them there until they fucking croak. Mm. What is the name of that cult documentary that uh, features the mentally ill? Titty Cut Follies. Titty Cut Follies. Ooh, boy, you got to watch this fucking movie. Ooh, I must. Titty Cut Follies. Titty Cut Follies is, it shows a little bit of a section I'm certain. I think that this has come up several times on last podcast in terms of over the years, but it's just a section of what it was like inside of these asylums where mm. they just let people rot. Horrible. Yeah. So, what was do? Why was this? Uh, was this because of the war that they had a huge increase? Like, what was the reason that they doubled up in size, or were they just diagnosing stuff for the first time? It was neurosyphilis. Alcoholism was a really oh. big thing. They would a lot of people would be just absolutely fucking out of control, drunks, alcohol induced psychosis. That was a big thing. Um, but yeah, of course, there was also shell shock veterans from World War One. A lot right. of guys with PTSD, uh, and you know, of course, they were starting to say like okay we can treat mental illness let's just not you know lock our difficult daughter in the fucking attic until she dies yes let's send her to a hospital okay theoretically that is a better choice theoretically but despite the horrible conditions patients dealt with every day freeman didn't have much sympathy instead he found them disgusting and pitiful and considered their general untidiness and particularly their shoddy footwear to be repellent 
that is that is the real crux here, right? Weird. Walter Freeman's personality is kind of born in that, in my mind, where you look at it, where he, there's people that want to see. He, I think that in some fashion, he was emotionally affected seeing people in this state. But the way he talked about it was just straight up, this is an eyesore. And these, this is this is essentially fucking gross. And I'm sick of looking at it. And we have to figure out a way to do it. And he saw, essentially, dollar bills. Yeah. So, like, like, he watched it. He's like, this is my issue. I am going to find a way to flip these guys out of this place into a place that not only it not only will make me money, but also make me incredibly famous. Just to put this in my terms so I can understand along with the audience, when I worked at Taco Bell, <laughs> I began to hate the Chalupa. Yeah. I began to hate the it was it was when the it was when the um the crunchy burrito was starting to come out. I hated having mm-hmm. to grill it and stuff. Right. I couldn't go to Taco Bell. I got fired after two weeks, so I couldn't go to Taco Bell two weeks after that because I was still upset, but then I couldn't wow. go back. Wow, you but only lasted two that you hated it after a week. They fired me. <laughs> I would have stayed working. But um but yeah, so I understand. You see it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. But that's his job. Maybe he shouldn't have hated his patients. It's not a hatred. It, it is it's more it's, it's a, not a it's not necessarily a hatred. Disgust. It's a it's a disgust, which you know, disgust and hatred are cousins, but not necessarily the same thing. They fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no cousins fucking. And that's the thing. Freeman was looking for a way to make his mark in the annals of medical history. And in his studies of mental patients, he began to see correlations between mental disease and physical maladies. Mm. Well, you know, correlation is not necessarily causation. Mm-hmm. For example, he found that schizophrenics were more likely to contract tuberculosis, while paranoiacs were more likely to develop cancer. Hmm. What perplexed him most, however, was that physically, there was no difference between a schizophrenic's brain and a non-schizophrenic's brain, at least when you took the brains out of the skulls and compared them on a table. Honestly, I was pulling these brains out, just laughing, whistling and stuff, <laughs> and I'm looking at these brains, and the first thing I consider is, been like, why is this not filled with spiders? <laughs> <laughs> he legitimately thought, I mean, yeah. I guess it, it does make some sort of like surface level sense, right? Yeah. Is that you figure that people that are suffering in real life would have like a physical mark, like there'd be something physical in the brain and they don't know what to do with it, but they spend a lot of time just fucking poking around all them gushy bits, just yeah. looking at folds and licking them and doing weird, zapping them and weighing them and cutting them up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it does follow. It's like what Henry said earlier about, you know, logic. They followed the logic too far. Because, you know, logically, you know, you look at if someone gets punched, it creates a bruise. Sure. You know, yeah. if someone has a, a cancer, if they have a tumor, you know, you if someone has cancer, you see a tumor. Right. You know, so they keep it logically. If someone has schizophrenia, the brain should be all fucked up. Full but of it spiders. Was, but but full it was of, not. Full of spiders, but it wasn't. A schizophrenic's brain looks exactly like a non-schizophrenic's brain. Okay. Now, while Freeman did pay attention to what other psychiatrists were doing at the time, he was more concerned with finding his own methods of treatment. His first attempt took a cue from Benjamin Rush, and Freeman used air pressure to manipulate the level of oxygen in the bloodstream to improve brain function. Oh, this is not going to end well. (laughs) No. Amazingly, though, after applying the equivalent of three atmospheres of air pressure to a patient with catatonic schizophrenia, Freeman still couldn't get the patient to speak, but he could force him to eat a sandwich. There we go. I'm a real Jared Fogel. <laughs> what is this? It's really interesting to see 
this this like the way he affected people with these weird techniques. You ever see the movie Awakenings with Robert De Niro? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where they, but he would do these sort of like weird experiments and get. Like, canatonic people, like, people, like, all of the footage of this stuff is just fucking, it's really unfortunate, and it's Mm -hmm. really, really scary also, of, like, people all jacked up, not being able to move at all, but then they put them in a pressure machine, and they don't know why, but using fucking, like, shit, like, what Unit 731 did, they would, like, go and they, they would like have motor functions again and work like robots and eat and act around and walk around and then go once it kind of wore off or they took them out of the tanks they would kind of go back to their catatonic state well they didn't know why but it only lasted 25 minutes they don't know why but like the air pressure would it would last 25 minutes and then back to catatonia what kind of sandwich are we talking here? Ham <laughs> I mean, cheese? to be honest, you get me a nice Reuben. Ooh, oh, maybe I'll pull myself out of a Cuban. Mm. Give me a Reuben or a Cuban. Mm. I've been thinking about a Cuban. I'm thinking a lot about a big old Italian sub recently. Oh, I think it was yes. because of a tweet that John Gabrus did the other day, and he was talking about making a statue about an Italian sandwich. And I've been thinking about yeah. big old Italian sandwich with prosciutto mm. and some fucking. Mm. Mm. You get fucking cheese oh. in there, and you get the fucking sweet peppers in there, and the fucking vinegar. Marcus, in there I think we got to flip it. We got to get the net for Henry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am going insane. <laughs> <laughs> With the air pressure scheme, that wasn't Freeman's only aggressive technique. When it came to spinal taps, Freeman always seemed a little too impatient to take his time doing one of the most painful Oof. procedures known to man. Instead, Freeman used what he called the jiffy tap. <laughs> oh my yep. god! Instead of laying him down on a table and going into the spine... Freeman would instead sit a patient on a chair backwards, have the patient lean over the back of the chair, and he would insert the needle directly into the hole at the base of the back of the skull. He made it like he made him sit like they would come in. There was like one doctor talked about walking in the room and he's like, check this out. And (laughs) just fucking like it was like a whole procedure that they were supposed to do to make sure that the patient is safe. To make sure that the doctor can get get into the spine correctly do all this kind of stuff. And he literally just popped him on a chair like Michelle Pfeiffer from Dangerous Minds and (laughs) bent the chair, bent him over the fucking the edge of the chair and went bing, bing, bing. It's like, it's not easy. Yeah, and just go thunk, and because there's a there's a reservoir of spinal fluid right there at the base. A, res- but if you a, fuck a reservoir up, of spinal fl- fluid. But it's literally right below one of the most important parts of the brain. It's right bro- below this, this like this, the brain stem. So if you fuck it up, oh. you paralyze this person or make them unable to tie their fucking shoes I forever. It, yeah, and it's I, and that is like it's such a tiny little fuck up, and he just do it fast because he was impatient. And that's the thing is that Freeman's hmm. lack of patience when it came to treating the mentally ill that was the hallmark of his career that was his whole thing it was like let's get it done fast let's get it done boom, easy boom 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 yeah they called him the henry ford of psychosurgery for yeah. that's for a reason yeah yeah because yeah. at that time freudian psycho- psychoanalysis was the standard for mental health but talk therapy boring, boring. oh my god it takes so long wow so it's it seems like he might be a little lazy as well uh, There's I mean, a certain laziness that goes with impatience, isn't there? He's a hustler. He's a hustler. Uh, he's not lazy. He's just a hustler, and he's impatient. We're not in the burger business. We're in the real estate business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Freeman's logic was that you wouldn't treat a tumor by talking it out of a person's body. Oh, that's such good logic, doctor. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, so why would you treat a diseased brain by trying to talk it back to health? So Freeman started studying the physicality of the brain. 
Noticing a distinct lack of discussion when it came to the brain in autopsy textbooks, Freeman took it upon himself to rectify this oversight by writing a book of his own focusing on the dissection of the brain. Man, I watched video of him cutting a, cutting a brain up into pieces, and there's just something about it. I mean, like, I've eaten brain, so I know, like, the texture of it, but that's after it's been cooked, so it's looser. Like, after it's it been, like, fried. It was octopus brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I've had straight up just brain. I've had, like, la- like I had lamb brain, where yeah. and it's less jiggly, but it ha- it's softer <sighs> because you've cooked it. But when he fucking slices the brain with just, like, literally a bread knife, it's just a thing, and he's slicing it in slices. It's weird how quickly it goes through. It's like a piece. It looks like a big old fun pile of bread. I love that you're trying to pretend like you're better than him. You ju- you ate a lamb's brain? Yeah. We're the top of the food chain for a reason, baby. It doesn't matter. You don't have to eat the brain. It feels- lambs don't even think about eating our brains. They Eat, probably do. Eating brains, it feels bad. Have you I, ever, have you ever tried it? it I just, have not it just, eaten brains. It doesn't necessarily taste good. It just feels bad. If something cannot come in a two for one, if I cannot get a deal, <laughs> I ain't eating it. Oh, you can get a deal on brains. Brains are cheap. But I will say they are, it's not my favorite texture. I don't really particularly enjoy eating brain. I've had brain and tacos is really good, but I don't really like brain on its own. It needs something else. I like more, I like a sweet bread because it's got more gumption. I remember. I'll eat liver all day long. I fucking love Mm -hmm. liver. Give me some fried chicken livers, chicken gizzards, get them at the fucking, get get them at pinkies, get them at the fucking liquor store. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. We ordered sweet breads when (laughs) we were in, we ordered sweet breads in Oklahoma a city at a place called Cattleman's. Amazing steakhouse if you get a chance, but I didn't know. I thought it was sweet bread. I thought it was bread. <laughs> but then you guys did tell me testicles. J- it was testicles. How good was that though? I had one and it, it, you could deep fry my own cock and it would taste good. <laughs> well, That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, Freeman began by removing and dissecting the brains of dead mental patients. And he concluded that while psychopathic disorders left no mark, bipolar patients had alterations depending on if they died in a manic or a depressive state. Something Hmm. about the ganglia that I didn't really understand. Interesting. Freeman also, I I also don't know if that's true. Yeah, but that's the thing, is that all of his shit, now after all of this, I have no clue if any of his research is good at all, because yeah. it's a lot of him just poking at stuff, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, can, oh, we can cut this out, we can get rid of this, this is all ready to go. Like, he was just looking at fucking brains, like Kate looked at, our editor for the book, look at fucking Marcus's th- the writings. Right, <laughs> all right, yeah, I mean, I, I, okay, all right, so we can't take his word for it. We don't know. Of course not, this we're not is not fucking neuro- We're not neuroscientists. What? <laughs> <laughs> then what do I have this diploma that I drew in crayon? You made it yourself, but that's a self-made man right there. <laughs> yes, yes I am. Freeman also declared that schizophrenia was linked to a deficiency of iron in the brain, hypothesizing that this lack of iron was preventing the brain from properly utilizing oxygen, and that was why they were schizophrenic. Not enough iron. Okay. That's not true, but, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. So, after Freeman wrote his book, which gave him a complete mental breakdown that resulted in a Nimbutal addiction. Did that make you feel good? Uh, it made me feel very good. It, di- it actually did, because I also had weekly mental breakdowns while writing yes. the book. Get the net! <laughs> Get the net! Well, after that, Walter Freeman was hired at George Washington University, where he established a neurological laboratory. This guy was respected. He's moving on up. He's moving on up. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
There's that people are looking at what Freeman is doing, and they're saying, "Interesting." Tell He's me saying, more. Because this technically, his even just his interest in this topic is very cutting edge. He is right. trying to figure out the human brain. They're all doing it, but they are just doing it from the most kind of like B.F. Skinner, we are like human machines version of it. And right. no account for our personalities, our psychologies, like what the difference between the mind and the brain. Yeah. This man needs a lobotomy. <laughs> Well, it was there at GWU that Walter Freeman met his future partner in crime, James Winston Watts. See, Watts was an actual neurosurgeon, and he first met Freeman while Freeman was wandering the local boardwalk wearing a sombrero and twirling a cane. Hey, I can't help but notice that you, um, do you like my indigenous hat? <laughs> Don't take a picture of me, because it will ruin things in the future. Jesus, is he Hunter S. Thompson on Quaaludes? Just what is going on with this guy? Well, as opposed to the free-spirited Freeman, Watts was a terminally serious person. To the yeah, point, he's a fucking neurosurgeon. That's, he fucking better be. That's he should what I be. like. You say terminally serious. That's called being a good doctor. <laughs> Well, he was he was serious to the point of being neurotic about it. One day, he uh, left for class when he was in college. He left for class and forgot to put on his necktie. So he grabbed a scarf and wrapped it around his neck and pretended to have a sore throat because he was so embarrassed. We used to have a thing called shame. In this yeah. Like, oh, we used to have a thing that... He was also yeah, one of those people... guys where years later is like, the standards of the entire world are falling down because have, of these t-shirts. Have it's you been on an airplane when people just come fucking wearing a cock sock and that's it? But... There was something about Freeman's style that appealed to Watts. Freeman was sort of the yin to Watts's yang. Oh, he needed him because he needed somebody who knew what the fuck he was doing. Because Freeman was an idea guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Watts started attending Freeman's lectures, which were so entertaining. Some of his students started bringing dates. During one class, Freeman was speaking on the infantile behaviors of senile dementia. So, in a bid for a little bit of showmanship, Freeman actually brought in a senile old woman to demonstrate. Oh, I'm so happy I brought Susan here on this date. This is going to make her wet as shit. (laughs) Susan, mind if I finger pop you right now? (laughs) This right here, what Henry's about to read, this is an exact reading of Freeman's perspective on his own stunt. And he's doing this in front of the person. He's doing this. This is, this is he is in a surgical, he is like in a, remember that scene in Young Frankenstein where they bring in the old yes. man and he, it's that. That's that. It, okay. it is, it is that exactly. They must have taken this. They must have taken that scene. They had Straight this. up <laughs> from, <laughs> from so this good. story. So yes, listen to this. I pulled from my hip pocket a nursing bottle full of warm milk. And I fed it to the greedy old lady. That's a picture they'll not soon forget. She fumbled around with it and tried to get the whole bottle in her mouth, just as our babies used to do. And then I gave her the bowl of my pipe to suck on, and she did the same thing. I'll say she was demented. <laughs> what? I'll the? say she was demented. <laughs> also, why are you defaming her? How is she greedy? Well, because he was trying to show how when the brain devolves, it leads to this infantile, like infant-like behavior. Yeah. But then you know you roll out an old lady with dementia with a fucking old, like a baby's bonnet on and like baby's <laughs> fucking clothes on and make it suck on a bottle. Again, lessons were being taught, but nowadays. You got a slightly different flavor. We're yes. not seeing a lot of that now. 
No, now it's called The Notebook. We watch it and it wins an Oscar. <laughs> no, as weird and cruel as Freeman could be, Watts was sort of primed to accept unorthodox methods. Watts's mentor, John Fulton, had himself performed psychosurgical experiments on two chimpanzees named Becky and Lucy. See, both of these chimps were trained to complete complex tasks. And while Lucy completed these tasks with ease, Becky would throw a tantrum anytime she failed. And these are distinct personality traits. Okay. Yeah, you're seeing that they have personalities. They have minds. They have, they are characters. Yeah, right. So just to see what would happen, Fulton removed the frontal lobes of the brains on both chimps in, mm. a, in an attempt to discover what bearing that would have on their personalities and their problem-solving abilities. Okay, what happened? What, what happened? Ooh, yeah, interesting. What? How fun is that? Would they become uh, house representatives? <laughs> <laughs> Get the net! Well, the chimps, they only had slightly more trouble solving problems. Just a little bit Whoa. more. They could still solve the problems, but here's what's interesting. The personalities of the chimps, they traded. Now... Becky was calm under pressure, and Lucy was the angry chimp in the room when things went wrong. Now, students, I'd like you to tell me what we all learned here. And the answer is... Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but yeah. I have these two brains in my hands now. Isn't that fun? Here we go. You guys, I've invented this new game. It's called um, Sack of Hacky. <laughs> where you one uses the bridge of one foot to slap... The chimp's brain up into the sky and um, spread the juice all over all of the fellow classmates. This is so fun. Susan's going to get so fucking mad. <laughs> but such experiments were nothing compared to what was about to be done by a Portuguese surgeon named Antonio Catano de Abre Freire. You want an award? You want an award? <laughs> he, he became a real Alex Trebek right there. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, Antonio renamed himself Egas Moniz. Egas Monis. <laughs> I love that trauma, that trauma film. <laughs> See, Monis was a respected surgeon who'd made a name for himself after World War I in the field of understanding neurological injuries. Oh, he wasn't dabbling in Dookie? <laughs> no, he was highly... Re he was actually doing good work. <laughs> okay. Except mm -hmm. Monis became convinced that all mental disorders could be solved by disrupting neural circuits. Monis figured that the best place to start would be the frontal lobes of the brain. Because at the time, nobody understood just what the fuck the frontal lobes were for. Okay. Yeah, I always like, kind of thought it was the titties of the brain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe we should put a nipple on them. Well, these days, like, we know what the frontal lobes do. Today, we oh. know yeah, they're, yeah. Res they're, they're responsible for motor function, problem solving, spontaneity, memory, language, initiation, judgment, impulse control, social behavior, and sexual behavior, amongst other things. So about all of it, huh? <laughs> I really wish that they delegate. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of stuff for just one wobbly section of your brain. Yeah, oh. it's like L.A. and New York up front, and then it's just rural America in the back. What's the point? What's the point of the rest of the brain? Can I? Because that's everything that you just named, Marcus. Memory. Well, well, well I mean, it's the frontal lobe. That that's where some people say that's where the soul lives. Like what you would call the human soul, at least when it comes to dealing with the rest of humanity, it lives in the frontal lobes. Okay. And some might say, unscientifically, mind you, that the frontal lobe is what connects humanity to the collective unconscious. 
the fucking pituitary gland, bro. Yeah. All right. I'm getting my brain blown right now. I mean, it isn't a coincidence that a lot of serial killers suffered from frontal lobe injuries as children. Completely detaches them from humanity and empathy of any kind. The frontal lobe is what makes us human. Okay. But back then, they didn't know any of this. Mm. That sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But they were trying to figure it out. So, Mona's and another neurosurgeon named Almeida Lima said, fuck it, let's see what happens if we go inside and goof around with it a little bit. <laughs> Got to. <laughs> what sure, man. this? Fuck oh. it, dude. Who oh, gives a shit, God. dude? Fucking pop it open, man. <laughs> fucking, here we go, man. Just fuck it. Just fuck open it, up those open. restaurants. Just fuck it. It's, it's like the same thing as just being like, yeah, oh, oh, no, now it's cool to go to a public pool. <laughs> oh, last week it wasn't? But now it is. <laughs> fuck cool. it. With their first patient. They began by injecting alcohol in the into the brain of a schizophrenic in order oh to dehydrate God. the nerve fibers in the frontal lobe, causing the nerves to die. Kizzle's been doing that for years just with his mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. For about 23 years now. Probably going to take that easy at some point in my life. <laughs> but when Moniz realized in surgery that the alcohol might spill over to the other parts of the patient's brain, killing no those shit. as well, he realized that while no, he no, was no, doing I, the surgery. Oh, wow, I man. got it, man. We got to put a bar. We got to put a little bar in the right, in the right dude, temple no, lobe dude, so dude. you can't drink outside of the bar. Dude, what if we fucking... Get a fucking poncho yeah. that we could put over the rest of that shit, dude. And what I'll do is I'll stand far away. We'll get like a kind of orb of booze. Yeah. And I'll hit it with a fucking hammer <laughs> and it'll splash on their fucking brain. Dude. All I had to do to get this degree was sift through a bunch of soldier shit. Oh, this ain't bad. Well, when he realized this little oopsie, he improvised. Aiming for the frontal lobes. Mona's cut holes at the top of the patient's skull and picked up a tool he called the leucotome, which featured a wire loop at the end that would contract and cut when Mona's pushed a plunger at the other end. God, it gives me the willies. Using that wire loop, Mona's cut cores of the brain tissue one centimeter in diameter out of the patient's frontal lobe in an attempt to cure the schizophrenia. And this person is awake during this time? No. They are, they're totally out. At this point. Okay. Well, Monus called it a leucotomy, but it eventually came to be known as the lobotomy. <gasps> All right. Well, this was the, and this is the hardcore lobotomy. Yeah. Right? This is the big old first one that if you saw, I saw some footage of some of these guys afterwards, and what it does is give you scarring that makes you sort of look like the saddest version of Hellboy that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the results went, the operation did not eliminate the patient's delusions or his hallucinations. Instead, it just made him indifferent to his delusions and hallucinations. He just didn't care anymore. So what does that... Okay. It makes it like, easier to deal with. No, but what, how Basically, does that manifest? that's what it is. It, it pacifies. In, okay. The goal was, in their mind, if they aren't experiencing the tension of a problem, then the problem is gone. You remove the reaction to the problem. So and the, then there's no quote-unquote problem anymore. So the tomato is still talking to you, but you're just like... He's cool. <laughs> He's a funny guy. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, literally yeah, that. It. That is absolutely it. Were the, now, were the patients happy with this at all? 
Uh, I mean, it is a uh, mixed bag okay. as far as whether people liked it or not. I mean, Monis said that out of the first 20 leucotomies he did, uh, 35% were successes. Uh, oh, 35% were no change. Uh, and 30% were, quote unquote, helped. Um, it- although he kind of, from what some people say, uh, what he when he says helped, what he actually means is made much worse. Yes. All right. That's a great stat if you're a baseball player. Horrible stat if you're kicking field goals. <laughs> yeah, it is straight up. If a third of the brains you're fucking up with are not even, they're not better. They're just not feeling anything. And, then and the that's other good. That's, 70%, that's the best. They just don't feel anything. And then the other 70% either die or become catatonic baby people. I don't know. It's, you know, a, it's a problem. <laughs> now, screwing around with the brain in an attempt to change behavior actually had a bit of a history at this point, even if doctors like Egas Monas learned the wrong lesson. That lesson should have been, don't fuck with the frontal lobes. Yes. In 1889, a patient had developed violent tendencies after a head injury had caused a piece of bone to penetrate his brain. Mm. When that piece of bone was removed, the man's homicidal tendencies vanished. Now, the lesson should have been, if you fuck with the frontal lobe, it fucks with the personality. But what they took was you can fuck with the frontal lobe in order to change personality. Many years later, an Estonian surgeon named Ludwig Pusip (laughs) severed the neural links between the frontal and parietal lobes in three bipolar patients. Now, it had no positive effects whatsoever. But still, Pusip did it 14 more times with, quote-unquote, Generally good results. First, That's the thing, man. I don't want it to be generally good. I want it to at least be mostly good. I also don't want my doctor to be named Puss Lips. <laughs> what, I did not, first of all, I did not laugh when you said anals. So I get I this. I said anals. Anals, but I did, not, I did not laugh, so I get this laugh. Yeah, Ludwig Pusip. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> well, following Pusip's example... Neurosurgeons began removing large chunks of the brain from their patients to treat whatever physical cranial maladies might ail them and paid no mind to changes in behavior or emotional expression. Mm. And when Walter Freeman saw what particularly Egas Moniz was doing with frontal lobe removal, he finally saw what he believed was his chance to make his mark on the treatment of the mentally ill, especially since Freeman's grandfather was one of the early pioneers of psychosurgery. I'm so- born to do this. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I am born to, to do all sorts of slicing <laughs> so to anybody's brain that I want. This is my right. He's just the Lena Dunham of surgeons. He's just getting <laughs> he everything is, off his parents' name. He is name. the fucking board on third base of brain surgery. He's the fucking Jonah Hill of, of fucking career surgeons. And with his own beliefs about the physicality of mental illness, along with actual neurosurgeon James Watts at his side, Walter Freeman now had everything he needed to implement his theories. And that, my dear friends, is where we'll pick back up for part two with the implementation and popularization of lobotomies from the early days of drilling holes into skulls to the eventual ice pick method. Get the net! (laughs) All pioneered by Walter Freeman. Oh my God. We're going to get into the rise and fall of the lobotomy 
Next week, we're going to learn all about Walter Freeman fucking taking the lobotomy on tour. Oh, my he, God. He's doing all this you know, kind of shit. He is, a, he is a fucking wild character in American history. There's something scarier about this story than even when we cover cults or serial killers because this is sanctioned yeah this is all like they're getting promoted like it's so crazy that this is like top tier science this dude was the head of neurology at george washington university it's so scary <laughs> it's very God. scary and then you know they call it a practice for a reason i don't want i want you to practice before you get to me <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The lobotomy really took it out of me. Um, this is interesting. Can't wait for part two. Uh, thank you all so much for the kind words about the book. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Marcus's writings. Thank you so much. Yeah, it just hit. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of our listeners out in the UK are finally getting yes. their copies. So thank and you all very much for thank you all very much for ordering the book. And uh, and now for those of you out there in the UK have been waiting for it to hit you, uh, it's available out there now. So yes. fucking get it for you. And that is a testament to the American audience who bought enough so they said all right we're taking this overseas which was very sweet of you i believe i also saw one in dublin ah i think we've also made it to ireland oh. so uh enjoy i just want to go the back on tour we'll go we'll, we'll be back, back we will be back so when it's bad. safe and we cannot wait to see you all as soon as we can um thanks for supporting all the shows here on the last podcast network we got side stories kind of fun top hat uh, wizard and the bruiser um no dogs in space uh uh, we have a new show, as a matter of fact, um, the Side, side work, po- work Side Work Podcast. Side Work with Brooke Van Poplin and Andrea Wallace. They talk about the restaurant industry. It is, I find it absolutely fascinating. It's one of those. But for normal, what's the difference between this podcast and others is that a lot of people focus on the chef part and the back of house part of the restaurant industry. And this is focusing on the front of house and the experiences of people that have worked as hostesses, waiters, people that are the, that run the restaurant, the part that you see. And I think it's very interesting. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And uh, this week on No Dogs in Space, we just finished our series on the Misfits and we just started our series on the Slits. Can you say that? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you all so much for supporting the Last Podcast Network. As always, uh, merch. We have lastpodcastmerch.com. Yep. We got some new shirts. I'm actually wearing my oh. kind of fun shirt right now. Very cozy. Big thing. We're going to be starting doing fan art ch- shirts once yes. a month, choosing you guys' designs, putting them up on the, putting the like, selling your shirts, pumping out the name, pumping out your artwork. I like, we fucking have some of the most talented listeners. Like, Ooh. honestly, it kind of takes me aback sometimes. Like, I can't believe, like, how many f- crazy, crazy artists, like, listen to our show. And Absolutely. we want to celebrate you as much as humanly possible. Absolutely. And if you are in the arts, if you are in the crafts, um, please, if you create something uh, with us, uh, please tag me, um, and I will make sure to blast that out and, and try to move some product for you. Yeah. Um, because, you know, this is DIY as always. So we're very happy to help out small businesses and independent artists because, hey, man, that's all we are. Always. Ba- basement dwellers at heart <laughs> um, who they let out sometimes. Oh, yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. Never forget, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Magustalations, everyone. Hail me. And how about we arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor? Get the net! <laughs> Get the net! No, sounds, no, that sounds I'm good real to me. Time. No, I'm them. You're actually free. You're Get, free. Yeah, you're free. You're free. Yes. Oh, go, go, yeah. Get them. Yeah. Get them. <laughs> Get them. <laughs>